0: be stubborn. Uh, I never ever quit when it looks like this is a terrible idea or you hear no for the thousandth time. Uh, you just have to persevere and keep going and keep pushing because it only takes the one time. I mean, you can quote Edison and all these other people and, and you know Colonel Sanders, but hmm. it really only takes the one time for it to, to blow up. And if you stop, then you'll never find out that one time.
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of the Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has founded uh, several startups that are now into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great uh, guest on the episode, uh, on the podcast, and this is Rob Kessler. And rob has been in sales his whole life so he started out all the way at 16 selling some soccer and volleyball equipment and uh was and then he uh basically had the guy that was running the store turn over the keys to him tell him have a good time and he uh, did a great job at it then went through school came out and uh, worked uh or after college worked with his dad i think he said for diamonds for a bit of time and then uh Business wasn't good. Moved over to doing some car sales, house sales, and then uh, came into uh, then married a stunt woman, which is an interesting. I I always just find it interesting when there's a stunt person involved. Um, And then, as they're getting married, had an idea for a product that uh, was in R and D for three years plus, and now is uh, doing that as his business and uh, having a great time at it. So, with that much as of an of an introduction, welcome onto the podcast, Rob.
0: Hey, thanks so much. Good to, have, good to be here.
1: So I gave kind of the 30 or the five second quick run through of everything, but maybe now take us back in time and tell us a little bit more about your journey and how it all got going for you.
0: Yeah, well, um, so, you know, it started with, uh, I started working probably th- whatever you can, 15 and a half. Um, and uh, the only way to get a car at my house was to have a job so I could pay for the insurance. So, found a job. I was playing soccer. I found a job at a soccer and volleyball store. And, uh, yeah, like you said, day one, the owner gave me a key to the store and a code to the, uh, to the alarm system, like the other mm. employees. And he just put his full faith in all of us. And it really made us feel like owners from day one. And I was you know, mm. 17 years old. So he really gave us the confidence and the support to follow our path within the business and try to help it grow. And, um, it was an amazing foundation for me. So Started there, uh, went off to college, was gonna quit after two years of college because I was making $14,000 a year and thought I was living <laughs> I'm in never heaven. I'll never, know, I'll never <laughs> yeah. know what to spend all this money with. $1,200 a month, holy <laughs> cow. Um, so about two years in, I said, you know what, I'm gonna do this, uh, I'm a real goal-oriented guy. So I hunkered down, I took summer schools and everything I could to catch up and graduated college in four years first person in my family to graduate college um Mm. and uh did that while I was working for my dad my junior and senior year I was working full-time in the jewelry store so found time for classes found time for work and um yeah that was did that so Kessler's Diamond Center is uh the third largest independent jeweler in the midwest uh or in Mm. the country um seven stores now so I did that I helped him open up one of his first stores out of town it was mm. in a really small town in Wisconsin and uh, just didn't really like the small town life. So um, my dad is the business is number one, and he didn't have really anywhere to put me into one of the other stores. So he said, you know what, mm. if you're ever going to work here your whole life and you're going to run this company someday, you should have some outside experience. So mm. I had a passion for cars. So I went and sold cars so for a while.
1: Jumping in on that really quick. So was that did you take that what, so there could be a couple ways you could take that, right? Is dad fired me. Now I got to go find a job or dad loves me. and He wants me to grow. So which way did you take it? Or how did it turn out? Was it the dad fired me? Now I got to find another job or, Hey, that was so kind of him. And I appreciate him looking after me.
0: No, that was not, that was totally my decision. Um, hmm. I didn't want to live in that town anymore. And he wasn't going to just, you know, make an arrangement for me. Cause I was a son uh, hmm. in one of the other stores. So there wasn't a position for me. And so it wasn't uh, a firing at all. It was just like, I really had to get out of that town. I just hated it. So um, Mm. did that and uh, sold cars for a while. Um, And then I moved over to Los Angeles for about a year with some friends. Since I worked full time through college, I didn't get to do any of the uh, spring breaks or summer breaks or every time that there wasn't work, I was, or it wasn't class, I was working. So um, (laughs) I kind of lumped it all into one nine month party in Los Angeles and Mm. uh, came home and got into real estate, which I loved. I, uh, had my license for 15 years, uh, did lots of real estate there with the biggest firm first Weber group. Um, and then, uh, while I was doing that, I started a screen printing business, uh, cause I was getting, I was working on a condo project. Uh, graphic tees were like the hottest thing, you know, if you remember, mm. uh, ed hardy and all those you know 125 graphic t-shirts i'm like uh i knew from my script my soccer and volleyball days when we did all the jerseys and stuff a little bit about screen printing so um i started a little clothing line uh and the screen printers were charging me way too much so i figured out how to screen print and started a little screen printing business which overtook the clothing line business and uh mm. yeah sold that uh five years ago so my wife and i could move out to los angeles and uh in the Started that little screen house and bought a six thousand square foot building that my wife moved her gym into, and uh, I had my screen printing business in. We sold all that stuff. Um, got so married. One in 2013. question before we
1: go off the screen printing, and it has nothing to do with screen printing. So you didn't mention your what your wife was a stun woman, right? Mm-hmm. So what what how did you I guess first how did you meet a stunt woman I know it's completely not your journey but it's just interesting because I you know stunt stunt women always sound or stunt anybody sounds interesting so what how did you meet her and then what did she actually do is it as interesting and as exciting as it
0: sounds or is it a lot more boring so she did that um, that happened after we got to Los Angeles which was we got here five years ago Uh, we've been married for eight years in February Hmm. so um, we, she was a, a corporate person when we met and I encourage her to follow her, follow her passion in fat, uh, fitness. Mm. So she started training people after work in, in the summer one year. And by the end of the summer, she quit her corporate job because she had so many clients and we bought that, that commercial building. We sold all that stuff, uh, sold everything we knew and, and moved to a town we knew nobody in. And she just happened to meet a guy. Uh, the one person we knew had a dog uh, one of the leasing guys at our apartment building. So we're walking our dogs one day and she didn't know what she was going to do. And he's like, there was a stunt guy that used to live here. Do you want to meet him? And she's like, hell yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) So she met him and she did everything that uh, he suggested. And, uh, he introduced her to all the right people. And she was in Captain Marvel as one of the (laughs) scrolls. She, uh, she doubled Taylor Swift in a music video. She's working today on, uh, Reno 911. So she's been all over the board. She's worked more in the first four years than you know most stunt people do in ten because she's got a business degree and she understands how to hustle on the business side. So, so she's just last question
1: it. on that is being a stunt woman or a stunt person is exciting as it sounds. Uh,
0: when she's working, she just called right before this and she goes, "We're stuck. Like they're doing all this stuff over here and we're just sitting around and it's kind of boring." And so huh. when there's you know she could spend a twelve hour day on set and work for forty five minutes. So it just depends on, you know, at what point of the day she's in, when she's working, she loves it. Like it is, she would do it for free. If, if we could afford to live <laughs> in los angeles
1: without uh, oh i and, don't know, and, know that uh, you're ever gonna find a way to live in los angeles for free all right well that was a complete aside it was just one that i'm like i've never met somebody that did a you yeah. know that was a, a stunt person or knew any but a stunt people so i thought i would at least have to dive into that slightly so now getting back to your journey which is so now you 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 know you guys moved to los angeles she was doing the, the stunt woman gig you were running the screen printing gig and then i think that then from there you kind of you shifted or you you made adjustments so how did you where did you go from the screen printing
0: so you back up a little bit we got married in 2013 uh in jamaica uh i hate wearing ties so you know hmm. it was a beach wedding i had no shoes she before i could even say i do in my brand new freshly pressed shirt it was just a sloppy mess and it made me crazy so i came home from jamaica after looking at the wedding photos from the biggest day of my life and said, I got to fix this. There's nothing. I Googled everything I could find. There was nothing out there. And, uh, so I started working on it. Uh, we paid, we, we stepped into the IP realm with our first, Mm. I think it was $2,000 to do the, uh, the patent check. Mm. Um, you know, and that's the beginning of our multi-thousand dollar checks that we were writing to get this patent. But, Mm. um, so we started doing that. There was nothing out there and I just dove, uh, Headstrong into it. it hmm. Took, like you said, three years of R and D to get it right, and uh, now we've been selling for about five years, and uh, it's been crazy. Yeah. So that three years of R and D isn't
1: as always as simple as you let on. So you know, when you're doing the R and D, you know, first of all, were you, were you, was this your full time gig? Were you doing it as a side hustle at the time, or how did you kind of make ends meet, so to speak? Why you doing the R and D in order to get the product up and going?
0: So that was in the screen printing days. So I had Mm. the screen printing business doing all day. And then, you know, when I had time, I would work on a million dollar collar. Mm. Um, I had fortunately had a lot of friends with old dress shirts that they were willing to give them to me. So I tested every plastic I could find on the market. Everything melted at the dry cleaner. Mm. Um, So yeah, I ruined about a hundred shirts figuring this out. And if you see all the, I have a picture of like all the different designs that I had come up with over the years, it's like. How mm. did you ever think that was going to work? Because it worked in one shirt, one time, would have looked really great. And then it's like, mm. well, there's, you know. Um, but fortunately, I found out really quick that dress shirts are all made essentially the same and they've got uh, a lot of similar characteristics and enough that I could make a universal design for my product. Mm.
1: Now, one of the other things I thought was interesting when we talked a little bit before the podcast, so early on in your journey, you're doing the R&D, and I can't remember exactly when you said, but originally, you kind of thought, hey, we were going to make our own shirts, and you did, I think, a Kickstarter campaign Mm They reached half your goal, and, you know, so obviously, you didn't reach your whole goal, you don't get the money, at least not on Kickstarter. I think Indiegogo is a little different, but you did that, and you said, okay. But one of the feedback I think you said was, hey, you know, people are saying, why sell the whole shirt when you can just steal the part that fixes the collar? So maybe dive into a little bit about how did that go or how did you decide to make that pivot?
0: Yeah, I mean, when we first got into this, we thought, well, let's just make a dress shirt." I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm. Um, So we did the Kickstarter. We got about halfway to our goal, like you said. But the unequivocal feedback was, why are you trying to compete with all the other brands? Why not just license the technology to them? And why can't I upgrade the shirts I already own? So change the design of the of the product to mm. fit in and be universal after mm. that uh, and listen to what people's feedback was. And, um, you know, when people are willing to give you money, it's a lot more honest feedback than, mm. you know, asking Joe Blow on the street that doesn't have any vested interest in
1: or um, even worse asking family, which they're never going to give you an honest answer because they don't want to hurt yeah. your feelings.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, these people would put up eighteen thousand dollars of our forty thousand dollar bowl, and that was their feedback. So we mm-hmm. listened and and followed what they said. So we have an aftermarket version now. Uh, now we've sold before you 300- tried, Go beyond. That. So when you listen, because
1: one of the things a lot of times is you're a startup or a small business or anybody, but it, you know, you you start to drink your own Kool-Aid or you buy into your own idea that hey, no, this is the best way to do it, and I know what I'm talking about. And you know, you can get a bit of a blind, you know, a narrow vision in the sense that you don't take an input or you don't take feedback. You're saying, oh, they haven't spent as much time or they don't know the market or anything else. So, you know, how do you avoid, you know, as you're getting that feedback from Kickstarter and you're saying, hey, we've you by that point you put in some time and effort. You obviously have a you know an idea and a concept and a product. And you're doing that, and you know how is you know how was it to actually say okay, I need to step back and I need to pivot. Was it just as simple as hey, I've hit I missed the mark and I'm going to adjust, or did it take you a bit of time, or how did you actually take that feedback?
0: Um, it it was pretty obvious to us. I mean, this was right mm-hmm. at the time Kickstarter was as hot as it ever was, probably mm-hmm. 2014, I think. We were mm-hmm. really early in the process. Um, And a hoodie company had just raised like $10 million. We're like, dude, we can do a dress shirt for 40 bucks, 40,000 bucks. So it was pretty, a a pretty good slap saying, you know what, you're not on the right track. If we couldn't hit our goal, uh, that was so much lower than what we were thinking that we would be able to get to. So I think if you watch any episodes of Shark Tank, you'll find that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially inventors get in the way of their own product and their own success. Um, And I wasn't going to fall down that path at all. So.
1: So, all right. So now, no, and I think that's insightful. And I think that, you know, I think that's a a good thing when you're in a business, you just need to realize, hey, we may need to adjust. We need need to pivot. And it's not that somebody's trying to be rude or offensive or anything else about because they don't have any skin in the game. They're just trying to say, hey, this is what, you know, my feedback or what I would do or why I would buy the product or if I were going to give you money. So I think it's a valuable skill is to say, hey, we need to listen to the feedback in the market. And I think it's also kind of in the heyday of Kickstarter. Kickstarter I used to think it was really cool and now it's kind of evolved into more of it's, Hey, we're going to launch a product. You know, this almost a pre-sale thing as opposed to helping Mm -hmm. people get their company going, which kind of loses the appeal to me. But back in that day, you know, Kickstarter was really people just wanted to help out businesses, they wanted to get something up and going. And so I think it's a good, good thing to the other thing is, is to get that feedback early, right? You don't want to early, you can get the feedback, you can get people that are willing to give you money or that feedback, the better, rather than waiting too long in the process. And by that time, you've now run out of time, you've run out of money, and you can't do it anymore. So got that feedback, you made the pivot. Now, how was it taking it from the idea of making the pivot, redesigning it to actually getting into manufacturing and selling it?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, it was back to the drawing boards on the R&D front. So we had to get that design to be universal. And then we had to figure out how to explain to people how to get this put inside of their shirt. So uh, unlike a collar stay that goes in and out really easily, mine is sewn into the shirt. There's always two layers here in the placket. There's always two layers here in the collar band. So you have to go to the dry cleaner, or tailor, open up a couple of stitches, slide it in, sew it back together. So that is a process and an extra step that almost no other product has. I mean, hmm. think about any other product on the market that you buy one place and you have to go somewhere else just to use it. There just isn't that out there. So that was uh, the next task that we had to overcome. But it opened us up to instead of selling, you know, a thousand dress shirts you know, we're selling to tens of millions and what turned out to be in 2019, a billion dress shirts were sold in the U S so, mm-hmm. uh, it opened us up to a lot bigger market. Um, so, and I could fit $20,000 worth of inventory in a shoebox instead yep. of, you know, an entire <laughs> warehouse of dress shirts and sizes and colors and fits. And I mean, it's, it's, a logistical no, nightmare to do dress and i think that's a good point of hey
1: let's make it simpler because otherwise you have to do with all the different skews of every you know every size of an individual and how big or small and what size their neck is and how long their arms are and if you can say take the same idea and make it much more universal it's, i think it's it was a great or probably a much more beneficial pivot to you guys as company so
0: well, well with straf, t- so it helps to you know keep the you got to think about costs if you're mm-hmm. only have the money that you're putting in you know, it was a, it was definitely a deciding factor and let's just keep that overhead low and see what we can do about the marketing and and getting it out there that way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So now you guys have, you know, you finally got through the R and D, you made your pivots, you got it up and going, you've got a manufacturing, you guys are, you know, a real boy, so to speak. And and today, you know, business now, what's the next, you know, six months to a year look for you guys, where are you headed and what's the next or where, what's the next plans?
0: So, uh, we launched in January, 2016 online direct to consumer. We've sold about 315,000 units uh, Hmm. worldwide. Um, So we're really focusing now on that licensing deals. Uh, We went day one. Uh, My partner works for, worked for Salesforce. So he knew how to get into the biggest corporations and work his way up that corporate ladder, which Hmm. is nothing I ever had to deal with. So, Uh, He got us into meetings with all the biggest brands. We talked to all those guys early on and they said, it seems like a good idea, but we just don't know if if our customer wants it or needs it. So we went direct to consumer to prove the concept. And Mm -hmm. we've done that now. And now we're going back out to those guys and saying, look, it's time, especially in the days of COVID where, you know, you really need to stand out to get somebody to part with their Mm -hmm. money um just a standard old regular old dress shirt's not going to do it anymore and we have the one innovative thing that's going to help these brands stand out so we're really working towards uh the mass and getting it into a ton of brands and uh into a lot of shirts
1: well hey that's cool that's awesome so well all right so now we've talked a little bit about your journey i'm going to jump to the two questions i always ask is after we get to or get towards the end of the podcast so first question i always ask is you know during your journey what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it
0: So we were going direct to consumer, Uh, we were about two years in, and it was going pretty well, like really well. Mm. And we had decided that dry cleaners were was going to be the way we wanted to sell this is going to be our distribution model. So Mm. we went to the clean show, which is a dry cleaning trade show in Las Vegas. And we got such unbelievable reception at that trade show, like Dickie's massive Dickies brand was down the aisle from us with a huge booth. We had this little 10 by 10 booth and they were like, dude, what are you guys doing over here? Why are there people spilling into the aisle trying to get to talk to you guys? We had all the attention on the show and we had gotten the contact information for the owners of like 1500 to 1700 locations of dry cleaners across the U S that were like, this is the greatest thing ever. We're going to make a fortune. We're going to love it. Hmm. Uh, At that show, we decided to turn off basically our direct to consumer advertising because Mm. we thought that these guys were all going to pick this up instantly and we're going to go. And it really threw off our cash flow for quite a long time. So that was not Mm. the best decision ever. But if you were there at that moment and seeing (laughs) these people lining up, handwriting out their information, giving business cards, giving us anything they could to contact us, uh, you were like, dude, you guys hit the gold mine. So. Mm.
1: So, you, in other words, you turned off what, where your cash flow <laughs> was on the online, and then did, did you ever get the sales? Did it ever come to fruition, or did it not end up working out? Uh,
0: those guys uh, have good intentions, not always the best decisions. Best businessmen, I think they know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in about six hundred and fifty dry cleaners, so we're not, you know, we've we've got into a lot of guys, a lot of those businesses. And mm-hmm. our customers and their customers that take advantage of our product really love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to make it as easy as possible for the customer to get the product, so um, it's it's working out. It's just a little slower than working we
1: out, but not not didn't catch on fire in this hockey stick yeah. up quite as quickly as you yeah thought. no no no. All right, I think that's a good lesson to learn. Is hey, don't turn off your cash flow until you've actually got the purchase orders in hand and the money coming. So, okay, second question. Um, if you're talking now to somebody that's just getting into, or just getting started with a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Uh,
0: be stubborn. Uh, I never, ever quit when it looks like this is a terrible idea or you hear no for the thousandth time. Um, uh, you just have to persevere and keep going and keep pushing because it only takes the one time. I mean, you can quote Edison and all these other people and, and you know. <laughs> colonel sanders but Hmm. it really only takes the one time for it to to blow up and if you stop then you'll never find out that one time
1: and i'll give you you talked about edison that do you know i assume you've used wd 40 right Mm -hmm. do you know what the 40 stands for no so WD, I think WD is like water dissipating or water, something like that. But the 40 was, it took 40 different formulations before they actually got on the right formula. So Love it took that. him 39 tri- or failures of figuring out what was the wrong combination in order to make what now is WD 40, which everybody uses. So it was just like that as another one of those kind of stories of, you know, how, you know almost to your point of keep at it, you know it's it's not gonna be easy, but if you, get, you don't give up too soon if they given up on, you know, 39 or 38 or whatever then they would you wouldn't have WD forty. So I just like that because now you can actually
0: every time you see the 40, it's a it's a reminder. I love that. That's uh I might have to go on my wall back here. I'm starting to build <laughs> out uh <laughs> All right. inspiration. Well, I, can, I, I can
1: help you now with your decorating you can get a big WD forty side. I don't know. Why do you have a WD forty can? <laughs> so all right well now as people want to they want to buy your product they want to be a you know one of your distributors they want to be an investor they want to be an employee they want to be your next best friend they want to reach out to you or any or all of the above what's the best way to connect up with you uh
0: we're we have all the social media so million dollar collar uh you can get us on instagram or facebook uh directly rob at million dollar com. all
1: right and then i think your website is just million dollar com as well if they wanted
0: to purchase it right yep I mean, who doesn't want to look like a million bucks? Look at her. It'll never fold. It'll never fail. Look like a million bucks hey, all day long.
1: Everybody wants to look like a million
0: bucks. So it's a great Viagra product. for your shirt, man. It's Viagra for your shirt. <laughs> all right.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to hear your journey and everything that you have going on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, and uh, if you have your journey to tell and you want to come on, apply to be on the podcast, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com and apply to be on the show. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you get notifications as all the new awesome episodes come out. And last but not least, if you ever need help with uh, patents or trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Thanks again, Rob. It's been fun to hear your journey, and I wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of the Inventive Journey, make sure to go and check out Startups Magazine. They're an awesome uh, magazine and podcast centered over in the UK. And if the magazine is a digital and print magazine where they focus on um, tech startups and entrepreneurs, and they also have a focus on uh, female founders and women in tech. So if you want to check out their magazine, neither digital or print, it's uh, Startups Magazine, startups with an S, magazine.co.uk. And you can also look up their podcast, which is called the Serial entrepreneur so go check them out they're awesome and definitely if you like this episode you'll like them